For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would do its work in our lives this morning, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, a team of Bible translators were working in Brazil, and uh, they'd been translating the Gospel of Luke into one of the local languages, and they were starting to record the soundtrack for the Jesus film. And uh, when they got to the story of Zacchaeus, the passage we're looking at this morning, uh, the only man who was available to read the part was a notorious cheat. Uh, He was well known in the local community as somebody who was always trying to make a profit at somebody else's expense. And uh, when they wanted to film the part of the story where he had to say the words, I cheated, this guy couldn't actually do it. Uh, The best he could manage was to say, oh, he cheated. And uh, apparently it took the producers a number of hours before they could get him to actually say the words, I cheated. Uh, When the film was released, the entire village gathered to watch it and and every eye was glued to the screen. Uh, If you've seen the Jesus film, you'll know that towards the end, um, the film shows Jesus carrying the cross to Calvary and it explains about the price that Jesus paid for our sin. And at that moment in the film, this notorious cheat began to weep. Tears were literally streaming down this man's face. And to everyone's amazement, he was converted. From that day on, he left his old life behind, and he became a truly committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. More about him in a moment. Now, our key verse this morning is the last sentence in the passage that was read to us, verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus is speaking about himself, and he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, that is not only our key verse this morning, but it's actually the key verse in the Gospel of Luke because it tells us in language that everybody can understand why Jesus came. And it's not what most people think. Many people say that Jesus was a terrific teacher, that he came into the world to teach us things we wouldn't know otherwise. Others say, of course, that Jesus was a marvelous moral example and that he came to show us how to live. And still other people think of Jesus as a great healer, that he came into the world to make sick people well. Now, of course, Jesus was all of those things. But Jesus says they are not the main reason that he came. Now, the main reason that Jesus came into the world was to seek and to save the lost. 
But what does that actually mean? Well, sooner or later, children at Sunday school are taught that there are three tenses in salvation. That salvation has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. The past tense of salvation means that because of the death of Jesus, we can be saved from the penalty of sin. Now that means that if you're a Christian here this morning, then from that moment in the past when you first trusted in Christ, you were saved from God's righteous condemnation. From that moment, you became a child of God. And ever since that time, you've been able to call God Father. Then there is a present tense of salvation, which means that because of Jesus, we can be saved from the power of sin. So if you're a Christian, sin no longer controls your life in the way that it used to. You aren't perfect, of course, because none of us are. But sin no longer has the last word. And you've been set free to serve God and his cause. And then thirdly, there is a future tense of salvation, which is God's promise to save us from the presence of sin. Now, I know that I don't have to tell you that today the presence of sin is all around us, isn't it? In broken relationships, in sickness and death. But you see, God has promised, hasn't he, that one day the Lord Jesus will return, and when he does, Jesus will bring all God's children into a new world where all of those terrible things will be gone forever. So, friends, salvation really is a very, very wonderful thing. Jesus says it is the reason he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, and in our passage this morning, Luke has given us a surprising example to show us just how wonderful it is. Uh, why do I say it's surprising? Well, two reasons. First, this is the story of a surprising seeker. You see, Zacchaeus was a well-known cheat. Just look at the middle of verse 8, if you will, in your Bible, where Zacchaeus says, if I have cheated anybody out of anything. Now, friends, that is actually rather a weak translation because there's no if about it. Uh, the better commentaries tell us that only a paraphrase will capture the full meaning of the original language. So a more accurate translation would be, if I have, and I certainly have, cheated people. You see, in verse 2, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, in case you don't know, it's very important to understand that in those days, uh, tax collectors were not the respectable civil servants we think of them as being today. Tax collecting was a form of institutionalized corruption. 
And as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was in a class of his own. In fact, he's the only chief tax collector in the whole of the New Testament. So here we have a first-class cheat. Now, of course, today, uh, cheating is nothing unusual. It's everywhere. Men cheat their wives. They cheat their colleagues. They cheat their customers. They cheat the taxman. They cheat their rivals in sport. And dare I say, women are not immune from cheating either. In fact, there's probably not a single person in this building this morning, including me, who can honestly say that they've never cheated anybody out of anything. But the reason that Luke has included the story of Zacchaeus in his book is because he was a notable cheat and he met Jesus Christ. But secondly, this story is not only the story of a surprising seeker, it's also the story of a surprising salvation. Uh, glance back with me, if you will, to chapter 18 for just a moment and the passage immediately before this one. Because Jesus has just said something truly remarkable. Look at verse 24. Jesus very famously says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And now here you see at the beginning of chapter 19, we meet Zacchaeus, and in verse two, we're told that he was rich. So according to the Lord Jesus, Zacchaeus is a hopeless case. He's got absolutely no chance of getting right with Almighty God by his own efforts. If he is to be saved, only God can do it. And yet, of course, that is precisely what happens, because in verse 9, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So this is a story of a surprising salvation. And of course, the people in Jericho really were surprised. Uh, after all, they knew exactly what Zacchaeus was like. But they weren't only surprised, because you'll notice in verse 7 that Luke tells us that the people began to mutter. That means they were outraged. Yes, the people were shocked that such a well-known cheat was turning to Christ. They were skeptical about it. And of course, it's just the same today. Uh, the South Africans among us, I'm sure, will remember Hansi Cronier. Uh, for years, Hansi was admired as an outstanding cricketer and as the captain of the South African national team. But you'll remember, of course, that he was accused of match-fixing. And overnight, the national hero was exposed as a cheat. It was a very sad story, and uh, I'm sure you'll remember that uh, in the end, he was killed in a plane crash. 
And I mention him because when Hansi did recommit his life to Christ, which he did, people muttered. They were skeptical about it. And the question that they asked about Hansi then was the same question they were asking about Zacchaeus in our passage this morning. Was his conversion genuine? Was Zacchaeus the genuine article? You see, sudden conversions often are not. So I think that is a really important question. Let me remind you, in case you don't know, that back in chapter 1, Luke, who wrote this gospel, says that he carefully investigated everything in his book. We also know that when he put pen to paper, he was writing many, many years after the events recorded in his gospel, perhaps as many as 30 years later. So I assume that he carefully investigated Zacchaeus. He may even have met him. And therefore, we can be absolutely confident that this story would not have been told if we are not here dealing with something absolutely genuine. So, taking these 10 verses, can we spot any telltale signs of real spiritual life? Signs that won't only prove the genuineness of, of Zacchaeus' conversion, but will also help you and I recognize genuine conversions today. And you'll see from the outline there are three that come straight out of the story. Three telltale signs of real conversion that are as relevant today as they've always been. And the first sign that the conversion of Zacchaeus was genuine is that he made a serious investigation. Come with me to verse 3. Verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Now, I think that's rather an interesting detail because it's telling us, you see, that Zacchaeus was, was willing to risk his dignity in order to discover what the Lord Jesus was all about. Because, you see, in that culture... No respectable man ever ran anywhere. And let me ask you, when was the last time you saw an inspector of taxes climbing a fig tree? Probably not recently. But you see, Zacchaeus was willing to risk public criticism by doing both of those things. Uh, some years ago in Cape Town, we started a midweek ministry to businessmen called the City Partnership. And over the years, we've seen a good number of senior businessmen brought along to these meetings. Uh, in the office, they may be extremely senior men right at the very pinnacle of their profession. But I find it very interesting that when we open up the Bible and we begin to explain it to them, these fearless businessmen suddenly look like frightened rabbits. Now, of course, there are plenty of people like that, aren't there? 
Indeed, many of us were like that when we first had the gospel explained to us. It frightened us. We wanted to run away from it. And of course, today, people do the same thing. Young people do it, and older people do it too. So the question I want to ask is, what made Zacchaeus so very determined? Is there a clue in Luke's gospel as to why he was willing to come out into the open and see for himself? Because actually he's taking a bit of a reputational risk here. Well, when I first prepared to speak upon this text, uh, I came across something I hadn't ever seen before which is that there are six references to tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke, and every single one of them is positive and favorable. So I'd like you, please, to take your Bible in your hands and very quickly do a survey with me. Keeping a finger in Luke 19, won't you please turn back to Luke chapter 3 on page 1029 of your church Bible? Luke chapter 3, page 1029, we're going to read from verse 12 in the right-hand column. Luke 3, verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, that is, baptized by John the Baptist. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? See, these, these corrupt men, they, they want to get right with God. I think that's a surprise. What did John the Baptist say? He said, don't collect any more than you're, you're required to. Now turn on a couple of pages to chapter 5 and verse 27, page 1033, left-hand column. Luke 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now turn on to chapter 7 and verse 29, page 1036, left-hand column. Chapter 7, verse 29, page 1036. All the people... Even the tax collectors. Can, can you hear the surprise in Luke's voice there? He's amazed that this is happening. Even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John. Now turn on to chapter 15, verse 1, page 1048, right-hand column. I think it's at the bottom of the page, if I remember rightly. Chapter 15, verse 1, page 1048. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And then you don't need to turn to the last one because you know it so well. But in chapter 18, you have the story, don't you, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The story Jesus told. And I'm sure you remember in that story, it was the tax collector not the smug Pharisee who beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this pattern for yourself before, 
But it does seem to me that these six references, including the one in our passage this morning, are sufficiently remarkable to make us ask this question. Was this perhaps the underlying reason why Zacchaeus began to look? Was it that he'd noticed a change in some of his friends and colleagues? Now, I think that's an important question because comparatively few people are converted in the first instance by a sermon. It does happen, but that happens to comparatively few people. Now, the beginning of their search is usually because they see a friend or a neighbor whose life has changed. And I think it's a wonderful thing when people who've never shown any interest whatsoever in these things before begin to investigate for themselves. It's actually rather unusual. But when it does happen, they start to read, they start to ask questions, they begin to come to church, even though the rest of the family think that's a bit weird and rather wish that they didn't. Yes, if somebody makes a determined effort to discover the truth, and they start to realize just how ignorant they are about Christian things, it is a very encouraging sign. Can I also say it is a very significant sign? Because you see, in Bible terms, when a man or a woman starts to seek after God, it is actually a sign that God is seeking after them. That actually is the message of verse 10 in this passage. This story, you see, is showing us that long before Zacchaeus began looking for Jesus, Jesus had been looking for him. Now, I began this morning by mentioning the cheat who played the part of Zacchaeus in the Jesus film and who was eventually converted. And I want to suggest to you this morning that when that man got involved in the film, Jesus had already been seeking him. That was actually Jesus inviting himself into that man's life. The man didn't know it, of course, any more than you and I did when Jesus first came into our lives. But I'm sure that some of us here this morning are just so thankful that in the past, Jesus came looking for us. Because otherwise we wouldn't be here today and our lives would have spun off in a totally different direction. So that, my friends, I think is the first telltale sign. It may not sound very much. It's certainly not as dramatic as Paul's encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, but it is a very striking and significant thing when somebody who's always dismissed these things before begins to take the gospel seriously and starts a serious investigation. Well, the second uh, telltale sign in this story I've called a right response. Have a look with me, if you will, at verse 5. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, friends, that kind of response is outside our control. We can pray. We can preach. We can run courses like Christianity Explored. But only the Spirit of God can bring the message of salvation home directly to the individual heart and mind. You and I can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can motivate the right response. So I'm absolutely intrigued by verse 6, which seems to me to be saying something very important. Verse 6 says that the mark of a genuine response that is motivated by God the Holy Spirit is two things. First of all, it is immediate, at once. And second, it is glad and not regretful. So think of the first, an immediate response. Uh, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. So he came down at once. Now, friends, what's happening here is that all of those absurd excuses that we've heard so often and perhaps have even given ourselves have completely disappeared. Uh, Jesus himself must have heard these excuses many times. Um, how else could he possibly have told that marvelous story of the great banquet? I'm sure you remember it. In that famous story, all the invitations were sent out and almost immediately, the excuses came flooding in. Uh, I've just bought a field. I must go and look at it. Uh, I've just got married. I can't possibly come. I've just bought a new car. I've got to go and take it for a test drive. Please excuse me. Now, I'm assuming that that story echoes the fact that during his earthly ministry, Jesus heard many of these painful and empty excuses himself. And so here, the sign that God is at work is that when people hear the voice of Christ, genuinely hear that voice as speaking to them personally, they respond immediately. Second, there is a glad response. There's no reluctance about it. Now, I, I dare say somebody who knows their Bible well will say that, uh, well, hang on a moment. Didn't Jesus warn us against the immediate joy of somebody who hears the gospel and makes an overhasty commitment without actually thinking it through? And uh, the answer is yes, he did but we need to remind ourselves of the context. So again, keep a finger, please, in Luke 19, and turn back, if you will, to Luke chapter 8, page 1037, right-hand column. Luke chapter 8, page 1037. It's actually the most famous parable of them all, because in it, Jesus gives us such a clear and realistic picture 
of what happens every time the word of God is preached, and it's happening in this church this morning. I'm sure you remember, don't you, that in that parable, Jesus compares the word of God to the seed that a farmer sows in his field. And the seed falls on four different kinds of ground with four different results. And then Jesus explains the meaning. Now this morning, we're only concerned with the seed that fell on rocky ground in verse 13. Just have a look at verse 13. Jesus says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Of course, that can happen to anybody at any age. They, they come to church, uh, they hear the word, and they say, you know, marvelous, I've been waiting to hear a word like this all my life, I'm going to join this church. But then you see, a few days later, or a few weeks later, some test or some trial comes along, and what happens? They fall away. In other words, that initial response was not the real thing. You see, the point is that the test proves whether there is a root or not. What is this root? Well, one part of it is counting the cost. You see, it's whenever people respond to the gospel without counting the cost, without realizing that when Jesus comes into a person's life, he comes in not only as Savior, but also as Lord. They haven't counted the cost. And so the person in verse 13 in Jesus' story uh, hasn't considered the fact that when Jesus comes into the head and the heart, he's going to change absolutely everything. And because he didn't think about that, when trouble comes, he falls away. So come back now to Luke 19 as we look for the third telltale sign of real conversion. The first, you remember, is that Zacchaeus began a serious investigation. And I do want to emphasize to you this morning that that is a very, very significant sign. The second is that when he heard the voice of the Good Shepherd, when he heard the voice of God speaking personally into his heart, the response was immediate and it was glad. No procrastination, no silly excuses. And the third telltale sign is a visible repentance. A visible repentance. And you'll find this in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up, verse 8, and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. So here we have a man who counted the cost of becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is specific to him. Uh, I don't suppose there's anybody in this building this morning that needs to rush out of church after the service and pay somebody else back four times. Now, this is the story 
of a particular person. And repentance takes different forms in different people. But the point I want us to take away from the passage this morning is that repentance will always take some kind of visible, outward form. People can see it. And to help us what, uh, think about what that might look like in our own lives, I'd like to share with you a comment from one of the better uh, writers on Luke's Gospel. This is what he says about verse 8, and I quote, True repentance means turning away from sin and towards godliness in every area of life. Where you've been taking what does not belong to you, pay it back with extra. Where you've been lazy, get back to work and serve in the strength of the Lord. Where you've been neglecting your family, reorganize your schedule and spend time doing the things your spouse and your children most need you to do. Where you've been giving in to sexual sin, protect your purity by making a commitment to chastity. Where you've been living selfishly, learn to serve. Where you've been tearing people down, build them up. Where you've been angry with people or bitter against God, offer forgiveness and praise. Now, end quote, that's not a comprehensive list. You're going to be able to think of other examples that may apply in your own life. But this is what Zacchaeus is doing in verse 8. And you see, while the cynics in Jericho were muttering and saying, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm just not sure about this. I'm just not sure. Zacchaeus really is converted. Jesus has the last word in verse 9. And quite frankly, his is the only word that counts. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. This man who was a cheat is now a son of Abraham and has entered fully into the promises of Almighty God. And if Jesus says so, well, it is so, isn't it? Before we close, won't you please notice that word today? It comes twice in the passage, once in verse 5 and then again in verse 9. I must stay at your house today. Now, my dear friends, that is always the message of the Bible. It's never, I must stay at your house tomorrow. Because in these matters, tomorrow never comes. See, lots and lots of people uh, go to church and they're challenged, not by human words, not by the preacher's words, but by the word of God. But they do nothing about it today. Now, I don't know what that word might be for you, but can I say that when Jesus speaks, it is always today. And please notice what um, Jesus actually says in verse 9. He says, today salvation has come to this house. It is a terrific word of assurance, isn't it? 
It's actually the same word that Jesus gave to the thief on the cross. He was another scoundrel, wasn't he? And yet Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, of course, the cynic can't believe that. But we don't have to listen to him, do we? Because he knows nothing about these things. So, friends, let's be on the lookout for these tremendous telltale signs. It may be this morning that I'm speaking to somebody who's begun the journey. They've begun to search. They've begun to ask questions. And if that is you, keep at it. Don't be put off. Or it may be that you've just begun to hear the voice of God through the preaching of God's word for the first time. And if that's you, then let me tell you that if you hear that voice, you must respond at once and gladly. And if you do that, and if you follow your conscience, if you put right those things in your life that God is telling you in your conscience to put right, then you will hear that great word of assurance that we find on the lips of the Lord Jesus. Today, salvation has come to this house. And friends, it is a very, very, very wonderful thing when God, by his Spirit, breathes into our hearts the assurance that today there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Today, I must stay at your house today. Our Heavenly Father, how mysterious these things are. But many of us can recall and be thankful for that first day when you spoke to us, woke us up and knocked at the door. And so we pray that today, even now in this service, some may hear your voice and respond at once and gladly. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.